I need to I need to lift this up a little higher. <clears throat> he kind of joked around. He, he walked up. I had already lifted up earlier, and it was kind of like right up here. And Adam walks in. He's like, man, this is this a tall preacher today. Um, it is a privilege to uh, stand before you uh, to uh, present God's Word. This has been an exciting thing for me to do. Uh, I've been out of practice for a very long time. I haven't preached in a very, very long time. And so when Adam asked me, he said, hey, man, I'd love for you to preach. I thought, man, that's great. I would I'd jump at the opportunity. I said, dude, tell me when. Let's, let's get this thing going. And then he tells me when. <clears throat> and then, it's, and then I'm, I'm preparing for that passage of Scripture. And then he sends me a text and says, hey, can we move your sermon date to a different time? And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. I only studied for like, you know, 10 hours on the, No, I didn't really do that. Uh, I said, no, no, actually, actually, that's fine. No, no big deal. You know, uh, we'll, we'll do what you need to do. You know your schedule better than I do. And so go for it. He says, yeah, yeah. So here's your passage. Boom. He throws me the passage again. I said, okay, sweet. We're in Ephesians, which is a book I love. And so we're, we're, we're diving into it. And I begin to read again and I begin to dive in and he sends me another text. Tito, man, I hate to do this to you, bro, but can, can we move your... Say, tell you what, man, how about I just study all of Ephesians? <laughs> Let me just go ahead and get ready for any sermon you'd ever need me to preach in this book, and we'll go for it. I, I say that jokingly. Uh, he, he, he did ask me to do that, but I said, man, that's fine. I, I don't really care. It's not a big deal, but it is a privilege for me to do this. So thank you guys um, for allowing me to come up here and do this. Um, I promise I'll be short uh, no more than an hour and a half. No, I won't be that long. I promise I'll be short. Uh, so we're in Ephesians chapter 3. If you'll turn there, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be reading through verses 14 and 21. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we're looking for in, in our lives as Christians is power. Power to overcome uh, sins and struggles and challenges, difficulties that we face. Because we understand that Scripture does not say we're going to have some kind of, a, a, you know, beautiful banana split Sunday life with a cherry on top. It just doesn't work that way. We understand that. We know the world that we live in. It's a depraved world. And, and so we seek solace in, in, in some of this stuff. We, we want to know, Lord, how, how, how can I be comforted in a world that, that has ugly things happening around me all the time? I, 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 give me the power, the strength to overcome, to, to face these challenges, to know that you are um, with me, that you are empowering me because I can't seem to find the power on my own. Let's read the passage, and then we'll go ahead and uh, uh, pray and begin to, to dive into this, uh, this passage of Scripture. It starts with verse 14. Again, we are in chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory to the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you uh, so much for the opportunity to dive into your word this morning. We count uh, days like this a privilege. We count it a beautiful opportunity to 
not just gather together with other believers and to be encouraged through song and through worship, uh, but to truly grow in you, Father. And I pray that that's what we're able to do this morning. Father, we desire your love. We need your love. We desire to know what your love can, can do in our lives, Lord God. Help us to, to receive all that you have for us this morning. Help us to walk away enriched. Help us to walk away empowered. Help us to walk away with an understanding of your call and purpose in our lives. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, <clears throat> I've given, I kind of tried to follow Adam's kind of style. I'm not going to preach like him because I'm not Adam. Uh, but uh, in terms of kind of giving you a general kind of bottom line, like, okay, this is kind of where we're going to go with this particular passage of Scripture. And so what I have here is that God's immeasurable love compels us to greater depths in Christ. I'll say that one more time. God's immeasurable love compels us to greater depths in Christ. His love is truly immeasurable. <clears throat> so as I approached this uh, passage, I, I was really intrigued at the idea of what verses 14 and 15 kind of began to show me. Um, this idea of being both humbled and emboldened at the same time. Humbled and emboldened. So if we look at verse 14, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Uh, so the for the reason, just to kind of give you a sense of where we're going here. So Paul already had been talking about uh, his ministry and, and his purpose in ministry and why he was ministering and where he was going. So he began in verse 1 to say, for this reason. And so he continues here, for this reason, for the reasons I stepped into this ministry, for the things that I have been doing, for this reason, I bow my knees. Now that kind of caught me. Uh, I, I didn't expect to really, and I don't really intend to go into every single word and give you the Greek translation of every single word and then go that far. But this did stick out to me. It says to bow my knees. Now, typically uh, in Jewish prayer, it's customary to stand. You, there, there, there isn't really uh, a whole lot of kneeling. That's, that's not the common thing. But so most, most uh, prayers are done in standing. Because when you kneel, which wasn't necessarily uncommon, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but when you kneel, that was reserved for the most uh, emotional of moments to pay true homage or real homage or deep homage to, to what truths you uncovered or to whatever it is you, you discovered or whatever God has shown you or just before God's presence himself or to lay prostrate before the presence of God. So something's going on here with Paul. He's on his knees. He is kneeling in this prayer. And so something has overwhelmed him. Something has touched him and impacted him. And he continues to go on to say, uh, before the Father. So let, let's establish that real quick. So I've always told, uh, I used to be a Bible teacher in, in, a, in, a, in a small private, not small, but Hope Christian High School. Some of you guys know uh, that's, that's here in town. So I'm a teacher there. But before I taught high school Spanish, which is what I teach now, I taught uh, uh, middle school Bible. And middle schoolers, man, those are, uh, I'm really glad I teach high school now. <laughs> uh, does anybody remember middle school years? I don't know if you remember middle school years. What? an awkward time. It's just, it, I, I think it's like God's joke. Like, I'm just going to give you about three years of your life where you're not going to know what's going on. You're not going to know who you are. Do I like girls? Do I not like girls? Uh, why is my voice changing? I mean, it's just confusing. My knees hurt. It's just odd and, and weird times. But uh, I used to tell my students, I said, stop looking at scripture through a 21st century mind. Uh, you shouldn't do that, right? This is a, a, a passage of Scripture that was written by someone in the first century, a first century church. So something different was happening there than what is happening today. Now, we have the privilege 
of looking back. We have the, the, the gift of hindsight here because we can look at the passage of Scripture. We can see all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We can look back and see God's plan unfold. Paul's right in the middle of this plan. He's right in the middle of seeing his church being established and, and move forward. And he's understanding God's grace and, and, and his love. And he's, he's writing beautifully about it. So what Paul is seeing here is what we see in verse, uh, verses 20 and 22 back in chapter 2. So I'll just read that very quickly. So it says, um, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So Paul, who is an avid minister to the Gentiles, uh, to the Jews, yes, but definitely to the Gentiles. And he's starting to see that this message of mercy and grace is not just for the Jew, it is for the Gentiles. And he has seen the temple of God being built up in such a way that it's not, it's not, it's not a wall, it's not a physical. He is seeing the kingdom of God established on, on earth, the people of God being built up in all different nations, tribes, and tongues, and creeds coming together under, under the, the mercy and grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, and that being the church to proclaim his, his fame uh, throughout the world. And he's, he's taken aback by it. He's blown away by it. For this reason, I bow on my knees. And so he's humbled, and we see that in, in, in this moment. Then there's this ability, and he, he says it this way, and, I, and I, again, through some basic study, I kind of saw, all right, this is kind of cool. Uh, so he bowed his knees, very humbled, before the Father. And the, word, the way the word Father is being used is very... Uh, uh, endearing. There's a couple of schools of thought on this, but, but what's ultimately established or commonly believed is that we're a part of this family, and God is our Father, and I am an adopted son. I'm an adopted daughter, and I get to approach my Heavenly Father, who is this sovereign, powerful, just God, but He gives me access to Him in, in a beautiful way, the way our children sit on our laps, right? It's just, it's just this gorgeous thing. And, uh, so he, he is both humbled and yet there's this boldness that he has as I can go before my father. I can just step into, I can step in his presence. I can come to him and I can glorify his name. So there are two ideas here. So the first one being that God is just a sovereign God and ultimately everything uh, comes from him. He is the father of all, all, all things created. He created everything. And so there's that simple understanding. And even scripture declares that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You are truly God. You are sovereign. You are everything. But again, as, as this scripture kind of lends itself to believe, it's that it's not so much that, but rather that we as the redeemed, undeserving of this grace, undeserving of this love, are welcomed into this family. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ with a loving Father. Paul himself didn't believe he, he, he deserved this, uh, this, uh, this grace, this mercy. He, I believe in verse uh, 8 in, the, in chapter 3, if I can find that real quick, there it says, To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles unsearchable riches of Christ. I am the very least. I don't, I don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. But nonetheless, Christ gives it. And he gives it abundantly. What is a previous uh, chapter that we read about? He lavishes his grace upon us. What a beautiful word lavishes his grace upon us. So this idea of combined humility and confidence just kind of messed with me a little bit. I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's a beautiful picture. And then I read a quote by a, a theologian, uh, John Owen from uh, the 1600s, and he, he said it this way. So I'm going to read a quote from John Owen here. 
Let him that would not enter temptation labor to know his own heart, his natural frame and temper, his lusts and corruptions, his natural sinful or spiritual weakness. But store the heart with a sense of love of God in Christ, with his eternal design of his grace, with a taste of the blood of Christ and his love in the shedding of it. Get a relish of the privileges we have thereby, our adoption, justification, acceptance with God. And thou wilt, in the ordinary course of walking with God, have great peace and security as to the disturbance of temptations. First, we're humbled because we face our sin and we know what we are. We just see it and we're like, wow, that's what shame I feel. But that shame won't last because we're able to look at our Savior and find assurance. And that is just the most beautiful thing that I read. That's just that first verse. That's that first two verses. And I was like, wow, thank you so much, Lord. Uh, I'm going to tell a story that I read about a story of someone else. I'm totally stealing this one right here. Uh, <clears throat> but a, a, a family member went on a trip to Romania. And in Romania, apparently there are still churches that practice the, the separation of, of men on one side and women on the other, women and children on one side. And there's a partition that goes right down the center. And so <clears throat> as, as this family is going to, to church, uh, this little girl on her way in had already picked some flowers and she's sitting with mom, but she really wants to go to the other side to her dad to give her, to give her father uh, these flowers that he just picked. And so knowing the setup, knowing the scenario, knowing men are on this side, women are on this side, or vice versa, whichever way it went, and the partition right in the middle that separates them, uh, she begins to kind of duck down through the pews or the chairs, and she crawls through, and she very humbly and hesitantly, uh, a word that was here that was almost apologetically kind of maneuvering her way towards her dad. I really want to give my dad these flowers. And as she gets closer to her dad, her dad sees her, and without hesitation, get up here, little girl, and calls her to him, sits her on his lap, and just embraces her, gives her a hug, and he she gives him these flowers and he breathes it in as if it's the most beautiful fragrance in the world. And man, I about broke down right there reading that. I was like, man, to know that my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, my God, will just welcome me in. No matter what's going on in my life, no matter how sinful I may be, no matter what separates or what I think separates me, I can approach him and he will just embrace me. And, uh, and my worship will be a, a fragrance unto him. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous picture. And so this is the foundation that Paul begins to speak with, and he enters into this prayer with. So uh, <clears throat> I got three points. Every good preacher should have at least two to three points, right? So I got three. Uh, the first one is a prayer for power. So let's dive into uh, verse 16 here, and it says, According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So I, I'm going to go very quickly now. Uh, it's uh, according to his riches and glory. That very simply refers to his, his, his mercy and his grace. Now, we understand in our culture the idea of, of money can buy certain things, right? Money, it, it, money in position, money in power. We can Actually, money can buy power in many circumstances, can't it? And so we have this idea in the country or the culture we live in, a very consumer-driven culture, the more you have, the I don't know, the more powerful you are, I guess, the more envious you are of other people. And so this is where we live. But of course, in, in, in light of this, and of course, with the way God just turns things around, 
He flips that and, and we come to God with nothing. We come to God not deserving anything, but he gives us everything. But it says, according to his riches and glory. So this refers to the grace and mercy that God has lavished upon us. This beautiful uh, grace, this beautiful mercy, which has canceled spiritual debt. Something else that we've talked about previously in this chapter as well. We are saved from death. We are saved from God's wrath. We are given eternal security. And this is a beautiful part. We are also enabled to proclaim his grace, to proclaim that grace that you and I have experienced to everyone else. Because how could you not? I, I, it, does, it, it, it really blows my mind that we can receive so much and not tell the world, guys, you got to see what I just experienced. You got to read this. You got to check this out. This thing is awesome. This thing is glorious. Um, the sources of these riches are at the cross. In Ephesians chapter 1, kind of jumping around Ephesians here, verses 7 and the beginning part of verse 8, says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he again has lavished upon us. According to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power. I've, I've actually titled this sermon, let me look back at that because I almost forgot that. Titled this sermon, uh, The Prevailing Power of Supreme Love. And again, we have this idea that we, we all would like power. We all would like influence, a little bit of a, 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 an edge to be able to overcome the things in our lives, to, to have something, to be able to know that I can maybe even control something. And so that's what we're looking for. Strengthened with power through his spirit. Uh, so one of the things that we're first strengthened with is, for instance, I've established, or I kind of said earlier, when we come together like this, we're all really encouraged, aren't we? We see some of the same faces every week. Uh, we see some new faces. We get a little excited. Uh, we, we see fellow believers singing songs together. Right? I think I've made that uh, connection when I, did, when I was doing worship. I think I did it last Sunday, where it doesn't matter what we've all brought here this morning. It doesn't matter what was going on throughout the week, but when we gather together and we begin to sing those songs, we're just one voice. And we're strengthened by that. We find comfort in, in those moments, in those very, very beautiful moments. Um, so we're going to find strength in that. We're going to find strength, in, and I love this about <laughs> the, uh, uh, I'm going I'm to say it, and Adam's going to beam with pride. I love this about what I'm discovering about the Presbyterian denomination, right? He gets all happy every time I say, oh, by the way, I'm a Presbyterian now. He's like, yes. He's like, I got one, uh, <laughs> uh, which I'm perfectly okay with. But one of the beautiful things is that their tradition is honored, right? You look in the past and you, we sing the songs, we sing hymns, and we recognize people before have, have done the study, people before have lived a certain way, people before have written these words for us to, to connect to Scripture. And so we're strengthened by those that have come before us, are we not? By the previous theologians, pastors that we've served under, uh, parents, grandparents, traditions hand down that point us to Christ on a daily basis. We're strengthened by that. But that's not exactly what, the Bible, what Paul is talking about here, or this passage of Scripture is talking about. Paul is in, in, in implying the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ. So the Spirit of God to be strengthened. I'm sorry, let me read that again. Uh, strengthened with the power through His Spirit in your inner being. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. This is the same power that frees us from sin. This is the same power that gives us the ability to defeat sin. Uh, I have an interesting conversation with some friends of mine. We do a monthly guys night. We kind of get together. We, we talk uh, theology and life and different things like that. And one of the questions that always kind of comes up 
uh, maybe not always, but has come up, is are we truly free from sin? Because we, we experience Christ, we, we're saved, we, we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we understand that His blood is shed for our redemption, yet look at the world we live in. And I'm sure none of us here can look at each other and say, well, I don't sin anymore. If you do, tell me how you did that, because that's really cool. I'd love to try that. But we all have sin. And so are we truly free from that sin? It's an interesting question, one that I'm not going to necessarily dive into great depths right now, but this passage of Scripture seems to give me the, the understanding that through this Spirit, I have the ability, the power through God, to overcome sin, to defeat sin. That same, sin that, is free, that same Spirit, sorry, that has freed me from the sin that has overcome me in so many points in my life. I'm going to backtrack real quick. Um, we've all got things that we're passionate about, right? Hopefully God being one of them, our relationship with Christ being one of them. But we're passionate about a lot of things. Things are always fighting and vying for our attention, for, for our efforts, and we, we give it. We give it to our jobs, right? We give it to our families. We give it to our earthly relationships. Um, we give it to some of our, our sinful desires, Right? These are things that we are passionate about. That's, that's, that's the part about facing our sin that we don't like to do. We don't like to say, well, I'm not passionate about that. And why do you do it so much? Why are you always going back to that same thing? You've got to have some love for it because that thing is holding on to you, right? Uh, so we have these passions. And I love this because what this passage of Scripture is indicating, we're going to dive into a little bit more, is that as our love for Christ grows, our love for our passions, earthly passions, worldly passions, begins to diminish. And that's the give and take. That's the give and take. So we're wondering, well, how, how do I overcome this? How do I stop being this person or not necessarily being that person? Or maybe that is the case. Or falling into this same habit. Well, look at what you're passionate about. Look at what you're loving and desiring and seeking because that thing's never going to go away. It's always going to be there. And over time, as we begin to fall more and more in love with God, as we begin to dive into this depth that is Christ's love, uh, will further and further pull away from. Not reaching perfection, not reaching glory. Uh, that day will come when we're no longer on this earth, and that'll be a glorious day. And man, are we going to see what we've been talking about here. We're going to say, Paul, that, well, those were beautiful words, but man, you were so far from what it really was. And that's going to be a beautiful day, right? But in the meantime, this is what we have. Um, <clears throat> moving forward into verse 17, the first part, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So Paul's praying for strength, He's praying that the Spirit of God be in you, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He's praying that the passions you have are more for Christ than the passions you have for the world, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Here's a real basic gospel question. If we're dead in our transgressions and our sins, and Christ is alive in us, then uh, whose identity do we have? Whose identity do we have? Uh, we are co-heirs with Christ, is what the beautiful, beautiful picture uh, that we're seeing here. We're co-heirs with Him. We are His. He is ours. So we're dead to our sins. We're dead to our transgressions. We are alive in Christ. We've been bought with a price. And that price was His blood. Uh, there's a, a beautiful prayer by, uh, I believe it's from St. Patrick. St. Patrick's prayer, a famous prayer that I think some of you will recognize. Uh, it says, that Christ be with me and within me. Christ behind me and before me. Christ beneath me and above me, may your salvation, Lord, be always ours this day and forevermore. Um, going on to the next point here, there's a prayer for love. 
And let's jump into, let's see, the next verse we are reading is uh, the latter part of verse 18. I'm sorry, the latter part of verse 17 into 18. So verse 17 already began with saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded, that's the beautiful part right there, rooted and grounded in love, going into verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God, uh, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So those two words very quickly, rooted and grounded, uh, those are terms that imply that, that there's growth that should be taking place. We're rooted, we're grounded, there's growth. We're, we should be established in Christ, or at least the redeemed should be established in Christ with an understanding of He lavishes His grace on me, I grow in Him. And daily discovering His love and, and what He uh, desires for me. Um, kind of uh, reiterating an idea here, but we possess no power, no influence, nothing that we can do to attain Christ's love. All we can do is accept Christ's love, and upon accepting Christ's love, we accept Christ's power. Uh, we inevitably must face our sin to begin to grasp that. So again, that idea of, and that's the beautiful thing I love about our church services, that we have a time in our, in our service where we confess our sins. We face the ugliness of our, of our lives. We say, okay, I'm going to take this moment and say, Lord, forgive us as a body. Uh, lead us away from temptation. Help us to pull away from this. And then we have that moment of silence, and it is an awkward silence, where you kind of con contemplate your own, God, I give this to you. God, help me with this. God, I surrender this part of my life. I surrender that. At least that's what we should be doing. Hopefully you're doing that. Because if you're just being quiet, well, okay. You're not catching this. <laughs> but that just awkward moment where you've got to face your ugliness. Uh, and we don't like ugliness, do we? Um, do you ever look in the mirror and think, wow, my hair looks like a camel spit on it? I got a little crazy with my razor, which I don't use. Uh, <clears throat> got a little crazy with my razor and got face my beards up here and down here on this side. Uh, this shirt is wrinkled and I have a hole in these pants. Man, start the day. <laughs> no one wants, you look in the mirror and you want to look good before you leave your house. You want to impress. You want to go to your job and say, man, I want someone to compliment my tie today. It's a Mickey Mouse tie. Who doesn't like Mickey Mouse? You want someone to compliment your new shoes. You want someone to compliment your hairstyle. You want someone to say, man, Tito, your beard looks good today. You can tell me that anytime you want, by the way. Uh, we want to look good, but if we really look behind that just quick little image of ourselves and look beyond that into us, into ourselves, we realize we're a little bit ugly. But don't fret. We have assurance in Christ. We've just established that. Um, one of my pet peeves that has been throughout my life, and I'm understanding it more now today than I've ever understood it, is that in our society, especially in Christian culture, we tend to reduce God's Word to a self-help book. We come to church say, okay, God, make me feel good today. What's that beautiful message that's going to tighten this, just, you know, my bad week up and send me off so that I can accomplish the things that I want to accomplish? And that is not what God's Word is for. That's not what God's Word is about. We, we've never established that here. This church is definitely not about that. Um, we want to dive into Scripture so that we are led to Christ because that's who Scripture is about. That's what we want. So that we may have strength to comprehend all 
Uh, I'm sorry, let me read that again. I got lost here. Uh, where'd I go? That we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love. Uh, so there's some debate about whether this, this whole height, depth, length, and, and, and the dimensions of God are referring to whether it be the mighty power of God. Is that what it's referring to? Or the mystery of salvation? Uh, or the manifold wisdom of God? But if we simply look at this passage of Scripture, especially looking at um, uh, the end of verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. We're looking at the dimensions of Christ's love. Um, it's upon Christ's sacrifice that the church is built, and I have these beautiful... So if we look at Ephesians chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul's described a temple built of persons of all nations, creeds, tongues, and, and tribes. Christ's love is as wide as the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, Paul said, the divine, or Paul said the divine love that designed this temple extends to eternity past and keeps us for eternity future. Christ's love is as long as eternity. Ephesians chapter 2 and 21, also in chapters 3, verse 10, Paul pictured a temple of living stone joined together and rising to heaven where even the heavenly hosts gape at its glory. Christ's love is as high as the heavens. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul even related this to the divine love reaches past the depths of our hell-deserving sin to give us family status before God. Christ's love is as deep as hell. And we still don't even have the full picture of the dimensions of Christ's love. Moving on, it says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I mean, as beautiful as these words are, Paul is still very far from it. Um, because the, the wording very clearly dis, uh, uh, explains that this knowledge is surpassing. We, we can't fully attain all the knowledge that is right here that Paul is desperately trying to convey to us. He said, man, let me show you how, how deep, how wide, how long uh, uh, it still surpasses us. You guys ever been told a joke that just went over your head? And you nervously laugh? In that moment, like, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm just going to laugh so no one looks at me and knows that I just, I'm not smart enough to get the joke. Now, this isn't a joke. <laughs> this is beautiful truth given to us that God says, hey, you're going to catch some of this. You're going to get a little piece of this, but it's not going to be full. It's not going to be complete. And what a beautiful thing, really, to be honest with you. Some people might think, well, man, I just want the whole thing. Can you just give me the answer? I want to be able to see it grasp it, get it, go apply it, you know, those type A people. It's like, just let me do this. But it's, it's really gorgeous. Anybody ever gone kind of treasure hunting, geocaching, dreamed of treasure hunting? <laughs> Saw a movie about treasure hunting at one point in time in your life? Well, once you go treasure hunting, which I've never been, I don't mean to imply that I've been treasure hunting, uh, but let's, you know, as a kid, you search for treasure. I, I remember I had a friend who had one of those... Uh, little uh, metal detectors, and we went all over a park and alleys, and we're like, ding, 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 looking for stuff, and it was just really fun. The idea, like, I want to go treasure hunting. We love our Indiana Jones movies where we see him going and looking for some rare artifact, right? Well, what happens when you find the treasure and you find the rare artifact? Adventure is done. Now you got to find a different treasure to go look for. How beautiful is it that no matter how far we dig, 
No matter how deep we go, we are constantly and forever going to be unearthing the beautiful depths of Christ's love. It's going to be forever. Forever. My daughter, when she first learned how to express her love to me, said, baby, I love you. I love you. She just knew to repeat it, right? I love you. I love you. I love you a lot. I love, I love you a lot. I love you more. Oh, we, we can go higher than, okay, I love you more. And then she just starts to figure out, okay, I can, say it, I can say it bigger than you. I can show you how big my love is for you. And it starts off with maybe something a little kid saying, I love you this much. Or they put their arms out as far as they can go. I love you this much, Poppy. Oh, yeah, I love you this much. My arms are bigger than yours. She begins to understand numbers. I love you 10. Oh, yeah, I love you 11. I love you 20. And she just starts to get it, right? And she hears more numbers and hears more numbers. And she goes, I love you 100. I love you 1,000. And then she learned the word infinity. Papi, I love you infinity. And that's kind of the, the arguments won. I mean, how do you beat infinity? <laughs> and so I go, hey, baby, you love me infinity. Now, she understands that she loves me. She understands that that love is powerful, that love is deep. She, we can't comprehend what infinity even begins to look like, but she has a glimpse. I love you a lot, Dad. I don't, I don't know how to measure it exactly, but I love you a lot. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to kind of have fun with, right? Now, the mistake that we tend to make is we begin to measure the dimensions of God's love by what we know here on earth. We add according to blessings, and we subtract according to difficulty. And that's obviously not how it works. But like my daughter, we can catch a glimpse. Paul caught a beautiful glimpse, and he's leading us in that prayer right now to know the depths of Christ's love. Finally, I want to finish with a prayer for spiritual maturity so that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Uh, Brian uh, Chappell, a, uh, a great writer, wrote this. This is, The fullness of God is the sovereign power directed by His divine mercy. When we grasp the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, we are filled up with the power that transforms our world for His sake. Uh, we, don't want, uh, we don't want to do, uh, I'm sorry, we, what, I'm not reading this right. We do what we want to do because that's what we desire. And that's what we pursue most. So the more we desire Christ's love, the more we dive into the, to the depth of Christ's love, the more those desires are going to diminish in our lives. I'm going to finish with this, uh, uh, this particular quote. Uh, Harry Ironside wrote this. The secret of holiness is heart occupation with Christ. You want power? This is it. As we gaze upon Him, we become like Him. Do you want to become like Christ? Let the loveliness of the risen Lord so fill the vision of your soul that all else is shut out. Then the things of the flesh will shrivel up and disappear, and the things of the Spirit will become supreme in your life. This is the only way we may be delivered from the power of the flesh and the principles of the world. It's a beautiful picture. Um, we gain power through Christ's love. We can't buy that power. We can't buy that strength. Paul is praying that upon his, upon his people. Paul is praying that for us, for the church at that time, and we are receiving that still to this day. 
And then, of course, it ends beautifully, so that we may be filled with the fullness of God. And then it goes on to a doxology, which is beautiful. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power uh, uh, at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If we are looking to overcome the challenges in our lives, we're looking to overcome the sinful tendencies that we have, which they're not going to go away. This is a constant battle. This is going to be an everyday fight. This is something that you're going to have to repeatedly jump into. But the more you do it, the stronger you become. The more you do it, the closer to Christ we become. The more you do it, the more the world will see Christ in you. And isn't that the point? Isn't that the goal? So that the world may know this loving Savior that we know this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we are so grateful for your love. We're so grateful that you, in your own mind, in your own way, saw fit to, to give us this love, to lavish your grace upon us, to help us to experience your riches and glory. Lord God, we recognize our sin, we recognize our failures, we recognize our faults, not to, not to throw a pity party, not to, not to selfishly bring attention to ourselves and say, look how bad I am, but just to simply recognize that you're that good, that you're that great, that you're that awesome, that you're that powerful, and I can just dive into the love that is you. Father, I pray that you help us to understand how we can not seek the power, but seek the love, and through that, receive power to overcome sin, receive power to spread your word, receive power through your love to make your name known. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to dive in, to hear it, help us to live it now. It's in your amazing and beautiful, precious name we pray. Amen.